Ardle Hanlon, good morning. How are you? Hello, Brendan. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Grand, yeah. Lovely. Grand. That's, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, Irish psychiatrists, I, I always feel very sorry for them, you know, when the answer to every question is, ah, grand. Yeah. <laughs> they have their work cut out. Uh, okay, so look, luckily we have something to talk about <laughs> for apart from that. So you're a comedian and an actor and all that, but you also have this line in making documentaries. And I suppose they tend to be documentaries a little bit about who we are kind of mm-hmm. thing, because we do love that. Um, but you can't get away from priests, can you, Ardell? So the, the new really, one is yeah. The Last Priests in Ireland. Yeah, so yeah. this one is coming out on Monday night. And it's a, I suppose it's a, a kind of a history of the priesthood from the Druids right up to the present day. And I suppose we try and trace the rise and fall of the of the priesthood in this country and the big impact that priests had on our lives and uh, we bring it right up to the present day where obviously the numbers are declining and I suppose we ask the question is do we need priests and what will we do without them and um, so it was a really for me it was a really it's a, it was it was a actually a joyful project, a project that I didn't want to be part of to begin with, because it's yeah. sort of a poison chalice in many ways. You know, you're not going to please anyone you think with a subject like this. Either you're not going to be hard enough on the priest or you're going to be too hard on them. So um, I was reluctant to get involved at first, but once I did, it was just a, a great exploration of that whole area. The, the last priest in Ireland, the title does suggest a kind of a dying breed, like the, the last dinosaurs or something. Do you think they're on the way out? Uh, probably, yeah. I mean, like the average age of a priest, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it's they're in their 70s. Yeah. You know, I spoke to one young Polish priest who was about 29 years old. He brought the average age of a priest in Dublin down by about 20 years, him personally, you know. So, yeah, they do seem to be a dying breed. But it's interesting, the range of views, like, about that, even from within the priesthood. Like, the, we, t- we spoke to one great priest, a fellow from Limerick, who he's doesn't think we need priests. R- R- Roy Donovan. Roy Donovan. It? Yeah, yeah. And he, 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 he's he got this uh, maverick theory, I suppose, about yeah. how we don't need them. And he thinks, you know, the responsibility should be taken by the congregation. Because there's still, there's still great faith out there. Yeah. He was funny. He said, I suppose I shouldn't really say this, but actually, you know, success will be when we don't need the priests anymore. Yeah. yeah. And he, he has kind of reconfigured his church yeah. to be more democratic. Isn't yeah. He? And it's where people can look each other in the eye and you're not just looking up at this authority figure uh, at the front of the church. And I think that's, you know, a big part of his uh, his thinking is that it makes the congregation very passive. And, yeah. you know, they don't feel that, they, you know, you know, that they have to get involved. Uh, and then we speak to a great woman, uh, Celine Humber, who wants to be a priest herself. And she, on occasion, celebrates the Eucharist herself in her own home. She's amazing, wasn't she? She's incredible. Like, like she almost made me renew my faith. I could have spoken to her all day long. So now she, so she had this vocation, right? Mm-hmm. And like in one way, you go, if you didn't believe in any of this, you could say, well, is this woman kind of delusional or something? Because she was deeply convinced yeah. that she has this calling to be a priest. Yeah. yeah, certainly at first, even when I was speaking to her at first, like I was sceptical. Um, and, you know, she, she she became very emotional at points during her story. Uh, but you you can see that she has a genuine vocation. Like, what, you know, whatever a vocation is, I don't really, I don't really know. See, this is it. I yeah, don't really yeah. know what that but is. But clearly it was a very specific uh, thing. It was. Saying to her, you must be a priest. Like, it wasn't just like that she felt strong faith or anything. No, was, she, yeah. she, she, she absolutely, but she was very convincing. And she explained things to me that I'd never really understood before, you know, about... 
the importance of rituals and things like that, particularly, when, you know, with the arrival of a child uh, and so on. Um, so, yeah, she was she was great. But I spoke to so many brilliant people, priests, ex-priests, theologians. Uh, and it was a really, really interesting area, you know, because uh, there's there's this thing, I think, in, in the country like where, you know, I'm not even sure if enough time has passed since the horrific abuse scandals and the cover ups to be even talking with any sort of objectivity about priests. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully enough time has passed, uh, uh, you know, where, where you can, where you can be objective to some degree, because from talking to people, what you find is that, uh, you know, most people seem to have a lot of respect and admiration and even affection for their for their priest, for the local priest. It's the institution that they have a real, real problem with. Mm. So your own kind of uh, background in coming to this, uh, there was, there's a very funny bit early on in the in the show where you're at knock at mass and the priest is talking about vocations and stuff. And he's saying, maybe there is somebody in this church now who is feeling the call from God and the and the uh, camera lands on you with it. You have a slightly uh, dubious, <laughs> Dougalish expression on your face. But you did feel the call briefly as a child. Um, <laughs> like, like I said, like a lot of young men, particularly in Ireland, uh, at some point, like I, when I was about seven or eight, I think I had a very strong vocation for about 10 minutes. Yeah. Uh, I was exceptionally holy for a little while, uh, without question. Usually around Holy Communion time or confirmation time, you know, you, 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 you feel a calling. But also I seem to remember, and I think, I think it's true that priests would come around to schools, even primary schools, like, and would sell the priesthood to you. And you were also steeped in, well, the iconography of it is, is everywhere, but also like you'd have missionary magazines in the house uh, as well as shoot magazine. You might get Boys Own magazine and that would always feature stories of exceptional priests, um, particularly some of the early Celtic monks. Yeah. Uh, and these these soup, these saints with superpowers and stuff. So all that makes an impression on a young fella. And, and your uh, host would have been quite... Well, I'd say devout, typically, typically yeah. Devout, yeah. I would say. Yeah. I wouldn't say, uh, you know, exceptionally so. Um, but yeah, there was always a great regard for priests and, 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 and there would have been priests coming in and out of the house. And and I one of the first people I interviewed in this show was my next door neighbour, Martin Donnelly, who's an who's a absolutely delightful man. And he's a priest. And, um, you know, his his he was brought up in a similar way to, 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 to the way I was brought up. But he, he became a priest, as did so many other young fellas in the town. Did they, they, that was still happening when you were Yeah, it was still happening. But yeah. I, 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 I do... Probably the tail end of it. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you'd have the usual worries when you start out in a project like this, like who's going to watch it? Who'd be remotely interested in this subject? But there is a whole generation who didn't grow up in this priest-ridden society that, that I sort of got the tail end of. Yeah. Um, and it is, and I think I think it's an interesting subject. But our our job as as filmmakers is to make it as engaging and as even dare I say entertaining as you possibly can. You know what what on the surface might be quite a dry subject. Yeah, yeah. I, on the entertaining side, then you you have a chat with um, Arthur Matthews, mm -hmm. one of the writers of Father Ted, and you discuss with him the notion that did Father Ted? Well, you use the word help to. <laughs> To bring down the, the the priesthood, maybe, or did it kind of, was it part of the unravelling? Well, it was part of the wider movement, I suppose, of of just challenging the church's authority. Like, 
and and I suppose, you know, satirizing the church. The church were very, very powerful in this country. I mean, we were a de, de facto theocracy for, for, for generations. It's only in hindsight think, yeah. that you realize how, you know, our minds were, were colonized. We were an outpost of Rome. You know, we were part and, of the... And when you think back then, Father Ted was when... Father Ted would have come around in the 90s. So so the worst yeah. scandals at that time were Bishop Casey fathering a child. Yeah. And uh, so, like, Father Ted looks quite cosy now. Yeah, kind of. yeah. But was it a bit more transgressive at the time? Like, were ye conscious that, oh, geez, we're taking on, like, priests here? Like, this is a bit daring. Ah, like. uh, I don't know, really. I mean, you know, there was... You know, I just think it was part of a a wider, like it wasn't a very coordinated movement or anything, but there was a lot of stuff in the papers all the time. Like people were really having a go at the church because there was a sense that, you know, the church was supposed to change, you know, from the 60s onwards, you know, after Vatican II, it was supposed to become more liberal, more outward looking, more in, more inclusive. Yeah. You know, there was a brief moment when you had folk masses and you had charismatic renewal and all that kind remember of thing. Yeah. I remember yeah. that growing up. Yeah. And uh, so it looked like the church was going to become a little bit more happy clappy and, you know, a bit there was more kind of, casual There was a few informal. young, cool priests around, remember? Yeah, and well, they, that was they, the thing. And they were was, having counter meetings where you, I remember going as a teenager where yeah. like, let's talk about things, guys. You yeah, know? yeah. And, the, and yeah. the priests would dress down a little bit. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it was... And that didn't happen. Uh, the priest kind of like the the, the hierarchy or, or the church as, a, as an institution sort of retreated from that idea, you know, and they went back to their old kind of di dictatorial or, or top down sort of ways, you know, imposing uh, the, 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 you know, the, on us, like the, the population, the way we were supposed to behave. Yeah. Do you you talk to Michael Harding about that because he mm. joined in that kind of wave of yeah. liberation theology. And it's almost like the church was going to become like the 60s or something like that. And then uh, yeah. he was disappointed yeah. ultimately, wasn't he? Yeah. And, mo and most priests you speak to, like, and the vast majority of them, and I accept their bona fides, you know, in, in this is, that they, they joined up because they wanted to help people. You know, they wanted to serve the most uh, needy and the most vulnerable. You know, they wanted to emulate the life of Christ. This is what attracted them to the to the priesthood. But then, of course, as we know, you know, with any big institution, particularly one as powerful as the Catholic Church in Ireland, with its own sort of unique pedigree, um, you know, it becomes bloated and, and uh, I mean, corrupt, I think, is, is, is possibly a fair enough word to use in the circumstances, you know, and they lose sight of the, of the message, the, the very simple message of Christ. Like, you don't have to believe in God to believe in Christ. Do you know what I mean? Like, whether he existed or not. Yeah, it does come back to Jesus for a lot of the people it you does. speak to, which, like, in a way seems kind of quite radical, but in another way, but of course. like Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And whether he existed or not as a historical figure is almost beside the point. He is the person that, you know, that we know about that lives an exemplary life and, and you know, it's a good, pr pretty good role model. Yeah. Harding then points out that, we'll go back to the earlier history maybe in a minute, but just Harding points out that it was actually, which I think a lot of people here don't realise, because we had a particular view of John Paul II, that John Paul II was actually the guy who set it all back again uh, and, and brought it yeah. back to conservatism. Yeah, yeah, his argument, uh, I don't think he spelled it out, but like, you know, he was, by all accounts, a very good goalkeeper, but a pretty terrible pope when it boils down to it. I mean, he got a lot of kudos for uh, because of his involvement with with solidarity and anti communism and so on in in Poland. But uh, as a pope, he was he was an arch conservative. 
Um, and you, you know, Harding is 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 under no no doubt whatsoever that uh, uh, he, he 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 like we went back into the last century. Yeah, under that. Whereas our memory of him is largely when he came here. Yeah, and, yeah, the, yeah. The, and then that's when an, you think, that's when interesting. You think back to that, like, yeah, a lot of people talk about that. I think it was nineteen seventy nine, wasn't it? Um, they the talk. It's probably a cliche now to, to say it at this stage, but peak Catholicism. Yeah, but that was literally the watershed moment where, you know, afterwards. Uh, uh, it was a, it was an illusion, actually, or or a delusion on our part that you know we were the holiest country in the world. Um, What's your memory of turning out? And see and <laughs> <laughs> My memory. Um, it's oh god, yeah. I like I was packed onto a bus. I think I was fourteen at the time, and I was sent on a bus from Carrickmacross to Galway to Ballybrit, the race course. Um. And it was a very long journey, about six hours. And, you know, we left at half three in the morning or something to be there in good time. And I remember I was a very shy kid and I was dying for a wee the whole way to Galway. And um, I, uh, I I let go at some point on the bus because I was too shy to ask the bus driver to stop. Uh, so that's kind of my memory, just being very okay. uncomfortable and, and awkward and embarrassed. <laughs> So that, for you, that overshadows the, the, the historical moment of peak well, Catholicism think, that was occurring over that few days. Yeah, but I think it also like maybe exemplified the masochism that seemed to be at the heart of our relationship with the church. And yeah, you you um have it comes across in it though that you have this kind of idealistic view of that we need. A figure like a priest, I think you a selfless person who helps the vulnerable. Yeah, and we've possibly seen priests in that role here, even in the last few years, when something terrible happens in a community or whatever. That like the priest does often come to the fore yeah. as the kind of yeah. This is this is the thing. Like I mean, um, yeah, without, without without doubt. I mean, that was certainly one of the starting points for me. Is that the idea of the priest is very powerful. Uh, there was always some type of figure like that who is set, sets themselves or is set slightly apart from the rest of the community. Uh, someone who does, you know, is in theory, at, at least, is a very wise and good person, um, pretty well educated, uh, is an intermediary between yourself and the gods, you know, uh, who helps you um, process the ineffable, you know, stuff like birth and death. Uh, um, and someone who's selfless. I think that's the key point. Like, I mean, you can go to a psychologist, but you probably have to pay for that service. Uh, the priest, in theory, is freely available for everybody. Uh, he's there to help console the bereaved. He, he, you know, he's there, in theory, 24 hours a day to help the most needy people in society. And I think if you, you know, if people knew the good work they all do, you know, they would, they would, they would, they would appreciate them more, you know. But also, when you put it like that, uh, it does strike you that it's a lot to expect from one person. Yeah. And also to expect them to do it without the support of a partner or family or anything. Like, it's funny that uh, a few of them you spoke to, they're lonely, aren't they? Yeah, very lonely. Even ones that, that, that are members of a, of a community. Um, you know, yeah, they're, they're, they're very lonely. They're, they're, they're kind of self-starters in the sense that they have to get up and they have to figure out what they have to do every day. And, um, you know, they, they don't have anyone to, I, I suppose they don't have intimates. Yeah. Like that, uh, they, a guy you spoke to who I think is a family friend of, of yours from when you were a kid who went on to become an army chaplain. 
and then you, you said to him, I think you asked him any regrets mm. or whatever. When he said about, I'd love to have children, just to break your heart, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah. And, that, and that brings up the the elephant in the room, like which, of course, is celibacy. And a few of them touched on that whole thing that celibacy is, 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 is again, it's a good idea. Like it's a perfectly reasonable, uh, valid idea, you know, uh, as long as it's voluntary. Compulsory celibacy is potentially very destructive. Uh, now, we don't go into great detail in this in the programme. It's only a 50 minute film. We could have yeah. made six. We could have made six films about the priesthood to try and cover all the bases. But certainly in, in the re, in the in the sort of superficial research I did on the on the subject that celibacy leads to a culture of secrecy because it, it you know, a, a lot of priests. Because they're human. Um, like they, they, they um, you know, they're, they're, they're not able to fully practice this ideal, this, this celibacy thing. So uh, they become, they live secret lives. They, 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 they're hypocrites in some senses. And then they mightn't be so willing to call out people who are up to terrible things. Yeah, yeah. So and and that, that woman, so that idea came again, up a little. Who wanted to be yeah. the, the priest. And she she talks about it in, in those terms they, that voluntarily fine. But she had a, she had a husband and children mm, and everything yeah. still feels she could be a good priest. But she also kind of brings it into then the area of the ch- how the church has framed sex yeah. and, and the having thereof. Yeah, 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 she did. Yeah, as as did um, Father or, or ex-priest Dara Malloy, who, who kind of styles himself as a Celtic monk now. He lives in the Iron Islands. So both of them kind of touched on that whole thing where, you know, um, like, uh, like 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 that sex is, you know, sex and 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 love and and um, love making is, uh, is 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 joyful and it's something to be celebrated and not something to be to be to be buried away. It's all very obvious stuff, really. Yeah, yeah, not so obvious to us though. We we, we grew up no. fairly twisted around it all. A lot of this then to go the history of it is that a lot of the way things became goes back to actually uh, kind of after the famine, the church sent Arthur Matthews again. His great was his great great grand uncle was sent to clean up the church and clean up the priests. Yeah, here. yeah. So it's it like it seems that pre-famine, uh, mass going was fairly casual. Um, there was a lot of folkways involved. There was holy wells. There was pattern days and so on. The priest didn't wear the Roman collar. Maybe thirty percent of the population went to mass on occasions. Um, the priest was a was a valuable member of the community, but he wasn't this absolute authoritarian figure necessarily. And Rome didn't really like the way the Irish church had evolved um, quite separately and quite distinctly from sort of the, 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 the Vatican, the Vatican way. So they sent this, this fellow Cardinal Paul Cullen to Dublin and um, his, his remit was to completely reorganize the church, introduce Roman rites, introduce the Roman collar, build seminaries, invite uh, various um, orders from all over Europe to set up um, orphanages and, and uh, hospitals and schools. Um, so basically to to take over the country. Um, OK. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. it was a, it was a it was a, a, you know, I think by any standards, it was a colonial project. Uh, and we were ripe for it. We were very poor. We were on our knees. Um, 
and we probably needed something like this. You know, suddenly all these churches sprouted up in towns. Uh, it gave the, the the rising Catholic middle class like dignity and self-respect and all those things. Uh, you know, you, you, you can't overlook the, the tremendous um, uh, drive to educate people, you know, uh, uh, so, you know, like it, it, it was welcomed. It's, it's not to say that people didn't need it or want it in their lives as well. Yeah, OK. But it was but an the, extraordinary project. Yeah. And then then so the priests then got power and status. And then the, 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 the phase we see then in the 20th century, yeah. like I, I wonder, some guy in the show goes through all the seminaries there were in the country. Yeah. Like there were these vast we were churning factories. Them out. We were churning them out, yeah. yeah. And it was a particular type of priest. I mean, I think this is what gave the Irish Catholic Church its, its kind of almost perverse character. You know, it was all about discipline, all about obedience. Uh, you know, you weren't encouraged to think for yourself. Like we weren't, I don't think Irish people were ever encouraged to read the Bible, for example. You, you know, you were, you, you were told to learn off the catechism. I think there's a, a big distinction there, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you you were encouraged to join sodalities and the Legion of Mary and 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 and, and other sort of extracurricular stuff. So the church became very very central in people's lives, and we were churning out these priests. We were exporting them. We we produced far too many. Um, you know, and obviously it was a great source of pride for families to to produce a piece a, a priest in the family. I think our theologian Salvador uh, Ryan he he said that you know you you knew you had arrived and in sort of Ireland when you had a pump in the yard, a pig in the byre and a priest in the <laughs> seminary, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, but we were churning them out and clearly, you know, we, we, we were, you know, there was far, there was, you know, far too many of them. Like we'd gone from 30% mass going in the, in, in the 1830s to like 97% mass going by the end of the 19th century. So, um, and then with the foundation of the state, you, you know, the country is bankrupt. Um, so we literally hand over education, social welfare, medicine uh, to the church. So they become a very, very powerful or organisation, more powerful than their counterparts in other Catholic countries. So we were unusual in that regard, yeah. Mm. Where are you at yourself? Like, reading between the lines, you're not, uh, you're not against the old Catholicism, are you? <laughs> No, I, 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 I mean, I'm not religious. I, I'm not. I don't really. I don't believe believe in God necessarily. Um, I don't know. I don't really know what I believe in. I, I suppose I, I'm agnostic, but I'm, I'm not, I don't fully understand what that means either. Um, I, I, I'm not down on religion per se. I think it's a really important part of people's lives. Uh, faith is very important to people. Clearly, um, there's still you know spiritual needs that need to be filled. Um, how do you fill yours? How do I fill mine? Well, I suppose I, I get my solace, if you like, or, or, or inspiration from books, from movies, from music and, you know, yeah. that sort of area. Um, and then... But I think religion is, is a very important is, part of that conversation as well. Like, I yeah. mean, you know, the, 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 the one place you don't really get it is from science and reason. You know, I am a rational person, I, I, I believe. But I mean, the fun stuff in life is, is art, but it's also religion. Like, it's... You know, I also believe that I, there's a deep and profound need for ritual in our lives, uh, particularly yeah. around stuff like death. I, unfortunately, I'm going to a lot of funerals these days. Uh, you know, I'm just at that age. Yeah. And, um, you know, 
you, 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 you know, they're, they're such important occasions. Uh, and the priest invariably does a good job or, or the best job he can do in the circumstances. I suppose your calling probably ultimately, you do all the other work, but the, the stand-up remains kind of your vocation, I think, does it? Like, and in a way, not a million miles away from... Uh, the priest thing like uh, this ritualistic yeah. coming together of people for some kind of catharsis and yeah, stuff yeah I never really thought of it yeah. like that yeah. yeah do people uh, not say to you you would have been a great priest um, women of a certain age or, you know they say uh, they say to me uh, I like your show on the radio you would have been a lovely priest I was a great fictional <laughs> priest but um, no I, I, I no I, I don't I don't I don't know about that um, no, I don't. I don't. I don't think I would be. I don't. I don't. I don't care enough about other people. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I. I, I think the st- like it's. I mean, stand up is. I suppose that you are coming from a similar area. You're trying to. You're trying to make sense of the world. You're trying to process stuff. I mean, yeah. that's 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 what you do every day. You know, you 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 kind of trying to figure out things for yourself. Um, but no, I I. I like, like in terms of faith and everything else, I, you know, I have this sort of very facile sort of mantra, like, or, you know, where, where I sort of, I, I, I believe that God exists, but only in your own head. And I think, you know, we, we, we created God. Uh, it's not an original idea, particularly, and it's not very well thought through, <laughs> but it keeps, it keeps me going. Okay. The last priest in Ireland will be on RT1 this Monday night at 9.35 and then our colleague Dervin MacDonald will present the last nuns in Ireland the, the following night, Tuesday at 10.15pm. Ardlo Hanlon, thank you very much and God bless you. Thank you. <laughs>